In the world of English language teaching, there are few people as controversial and divisive as Jeff Jordan. He is not afraid of promoting what he calls a radical approach to the problems in the ELT industry, how to fix them, and how to get good student learning outcomes in the classroom. And that's why I had to talk to him. And in this interview, we talk about all of those things and much more. I hope you enjoy it. Jeff Jordan, thank you very much for talking to me today. A pleasure. So for people who don't know you and your work, could you just explain a little bit about your background and, and what you do? Now I'm kind of semi-retired. Um, I work at Leicester University in uh, TESOL, Master's TESOL program, well, Applied Linguistics in TESOL, part-time. And I do it um, from here, from, from my home in, in Spain. So it's a distance learning program. I'm also currently writing um, a book with Mike Long um, about the sort of thing that you and I are interested in. Uh, in other words, um, the state of English language teaching. Um, and um, my background is um, way back. I was um, starting a career as an academic in uh, the philosophy of science. I studied with Popper at London School of Economics in the 1960s, um, and I got um, chucked out for radical political uh, stuff. Okay. So I kind of fled <laughs> to uh, Spain um, and um, started teaching English, um, sort of beer money, as one does, or, or rather as one did in those days. Um, so I started at that doing language teaching, enjoyed it thoroughly, it was marvellous, loved it. And um, it was a good school and I kind of um, rose a bit through the ranks and ended up uh, as Director of Studies and also uh, helped my boss uh, to um, make a Masters in uh, TESOL. Yes. I did the Masters myself and then I um, uh, carried on and I did, a, um, with, with uh, Mike Long's help a little bit and with Woodison's uh, help too, I did a PhD. So that got me back after a sort of 40, 50 year <laughs> break into academic life. Uh, and so for the last 10 years I've been um, uh, studying second language acquisition quite a lot, keeping up with that. That's my kind of academic interest, which uh, is why I'm working with Mike, Mike Long so much, but also carrying on my um, interest in uh, the, the practice of English language teaching. Um, and uh, I got rather involved uh, about 10 years ago. I started a blog and so on and got involved with those who, who are trying to bring about change. So I've taken a fairly radical uh uh, view of ELT and I think uh, from what I've seen of your stuff uh, I think we agree that there's a lot wrong with the present setup and uh, I'm working with um, some people here in Barcelona the SLB cooperative um, as one group that um, are trying to push for change. When I first started reading your work one thing that yeah. struck one thing that struck me is that you know if you look at a at a sort of figure like for example Scott Thornbury who who you who people in the industry probably view him as a kind of radical because he's kind of pushing this kind of anti workbook kind of dogma thing but then you are like you know the next level in fact you you think that people like Scott Thornbury don't go far enough and and so immediately I said to myself well here's a guy I have to talk to. So I was wondering if you could just actually continue talking about like what do you think are the problems right now in the in the ELT industry? I should say that um, I think Scott's a lovely man. Uh, um, I enjoy my ding-dongs with him and I think he's doing a lot of uh, very good things. His support for the Hands Up project in Palestine his support of uh, Dogme, lots of stuff he does, very good. Uh, um, so 
<laughs> well, I kind of, first I disagree with him about SLA because he, he talks rubbish. Um, uh, and I don't think he's, he's as well informed as he should be. I think he should recognize that that's not his forte. But anyway, that, so that's one problem I have with him. Uh, and another is a sort of contradiction. There he is, um, you know, with this marvelous stuff about um, course books delivering McNuggets and, and that uh, very good criticism he's made of course book driven ELT, which is the real, the heart of the problem. Uh, on the other hand, he's teaching bloody CELTA and he's got these CELTA training courses teaching people to do exactly what he so eloquently uh, says is a load of old rubbish. And that's the kind of contradiction. He, he does rather sit on the fence, you know, and he's, he's such an establishment figure. He's, he's reluctant um, to come out and say that, first, a lot of teacher trainers are talking nonsense, um, and, and second, that um, this should be, uh, he, you know, what he says about course books, the, the, his very well-informed uh, criticisms of them, very eloquent criticisms of them, um, are not followed through. So that's my problem with him. As to the central problems of ELT, I think it boils down to the fact that it's become so completely commercialized as has much of education worldwide, including, of course, um, in universities. Um, so now it's like uh, people say that the commodification of education, and particularly in uh, English language teaching, which is such a huge industry, it turns over various estimates, Pearson's, for example, are estimated at close to 2,000 billion. I mean, it's just the most colossal industry, and it's driven by the bottom line. It's driven by um, concern to make profit. And that leads to the commodification. It leads to packaging uh, teaching, and it leads to a packaging, and a, a view of language that says you cut it up into bits, you cut it up into uh, a thousand items, whether they be grammatical or lexical or whatever the hell they are, and then you teach English by presenting these uh, bits of language to people in presentation um, and, and then getting them to practice them on the forlorn assumption, which is obviously completely wrong, that students will learn it that way. Well, we know from second language acquisition research that people don't learn languages like that. That's just completely uh, against, and, and what's more, they can't. Um, the, 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 the research shows that, first of all, learning a language is completely very different to learning stuff like other subjects in the curriculum, like, I don't know, geography or biology, where declarative knowledge is obviously most of it. You know, Paris is the capital of France. There it is. You know it or you don't. But there's this huge difference in language learning where uh, declarative knowledge, what you, what you can say you know about, what you know consciously, um, is very different from the procedural knowledge, the unconscious knowledge you need to actually use the language for communicative purposes. So we all know, um, you know, through 50 years of appalling teaching of languages, that people can pass exam, people can tell you the past tense of the uh, verb go is went and all the rest of it, but when it comes to it, they can't string a bloody sentence together. So there's this huge mismatch between teaching language as an object uh, and, and actually involving people in using it. And that's the big disagreement. Those of us who take a radical view like I do and like Mike Long does and others do, um, is that um, you learn languages by doing it. It's something that you, you practice and you, and, and you communicate, and through that, you, you, you work out for yourself unconsciously, not, not uh, um, consciously and being able to articulate it, but, but you work out, ah, oh, that's how it works. So you can put the phone down here. As I say, this is not conscious. But anyway, that's the big problem with um, today's uh, ELT, English language teaching, is... Um, 
driven by commercial companies, by this kind of hydra of um, publishers who do all the materials and course books, uh, the course providers like International House and all the chains of uh, language schools, and the examination boards at Cambridge, IELTS and all those, the uh, training thing, courses like CELTA, all of this uh, is combines to um, make English language teaching a commercial packaged marketed uh, production line. Uh, you start with this absurd um, idea of language proficiency being able to be divided into 10 or 8 stages or however many. Uh, A1 to C2. Six, six levels. <laughs> yes. Pearson, of course, and now their grand scheme, Pearson really is the model here. But they've cut it up into, into 10 bits and they've got 5,000 can-do statements and so on. So this is the idea that you progress in language learning along this absurd linear uh, line from, from knowing nothing to, 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 or rather from can being able to do nothing to can do everything. Or, I mean, it's just absurd. Anyway, so there it is. It's this objectified, silly um, uh, line of thing. Right, you do this test and, ah yes, you're low and intermediate. So now we'll put you in a course and you'll do uh, 80 hours with a course book and after that you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll move up a level. And it's just total nonsense. And of course most people fail, most people don't get there. You talk to people who've done six or seven of these damn courses and spend a fortune on them and they say they feel highly embarrassed when, when, when confronted by a bloody ticket collector, let alone the ability to, to, to handle themselves well in a, an important business meeting. So the whole thing um, is, is, is ridiculous. Um, it's based not on educational concerns, not as it should be, uh, uh, taking into account what we know, the, the, the SLA findings, but rather on profit and, and business. And because of that, um, it fails students, it de-skills teachers, turning them into you know, users of course books, uh, and the whole thing is a bloody mess. And, and, and it's such a powerful industry. And you think, you go to Ayatapal and teach all these big conferences, 6,000 people, go into the uh, exhibitions or look at these stands these people have got and the money they're throwing around, and you realize what you're up against. And that's why people like me are suffering. They don't give you oxygen. That's their strategy. Don't listen. Don't let him. Just block him. Get him off Twitter. Get him off the Don't, you know, if ever I put in a proposal for a conference, I know perfectly well they're going to turn it down 99% um, of the time. And so on and so on. So what you get is just complete stifling of uh, opposition. They won't let you talk, you know, and, that, uh, and, and of course, this is where Scott uh, is perhaps, you know, justified in that because he, he met, he's much more measured than I am, at least he does uh, get a voice. He is heard, uh, and it is, at least to some extent, a, a, a progressive voice. So that's one of the problems that you and I have if we want to, those of us who are interested in changing things, it's always the case, isn't it, in politics too. Um, you know, do you sort of um, compromise yourself uh, in order to to reach a, a, a wider audience? Uh, and the problem with that is, of course, that there, as we know, um, there's a tremendous power of recuperation. Um, they can bring it. You know, you start out as a rebel; they'll bring you in. You know. <laughs> Mick Jagger starts saying, hey, now he's a bloody lord watching cricket, at, you know, that's what they do. Um, so you have to be very careful um, when, you, when you start saying, as Scott says, well, of course, um, you know, at least I can um, uh, make my voice heard, and, and, and at least uh, that's better than just uh, pissing in the wind like I do. Do you think that English teaching in general would kind of immediately improve if we just burned all the textbooks? Yes, I do. Without a doubt, I think that, I think, you see, this is the thing. People say, 
course book is just a symptom and, and all the rest of it. The course book is right at the heart. I'm talking about general English course books. Of course, we have to recognize that there are, that, you know, that's not all that ELT is about. There are lots of other uh, ways of doing ELT and that are being done. CLT, you know, content-based stuff and um, English for special purposes, of course, um, escapes a lot of the criticisms that I'm making. But um, if we're talking about general English courses uh, at primary, secondary, and tertiary levels, at state schools and, and, and at uh, private institutions, the vast bulk of those um, where all the money is, is general English. Um, and they use course books. And it is the course books that set the syllabus and um, set the way in which uh, teachers do their job. Um, and that, so I would say course books are the center of the problem of ELT. They have abolished, they have got rid of, they have destroyed uh, all the work that was done in the 1980s to, to move towards a more communicative language teaching approach. That has been, we're back to where we were 40, 50 years ago was situational language teaching as uh, promoted by the International House when it first kicked off in the 19, uh, early 1970s. We're back there. That's where we are. Uh, and the exams and the tests and the, uh, all the stuff uh, has taken us back. Why? Because it's, because it's, it, it's, it's packaged. It, it, uh, the messy stuff of learning a language is converted into neat, nice, easy uh, stuff. You can sell somebody a 100-hour course or an 80-hour course. You can say it makes sense. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Today we're on unit one, page three. In a month's time we'll be on unit six, page whatever the hell it is. So if that's what's oh, it's convenient. It's this, that, the other. But it's bloody wrong. It's nonsense. And it, and it forces people to spend most of their classroom time talking about the language rather than giving students the opportunities to talk in the language about relevant, meaningful, communicative things that they're interested in saying. And that's a problem. Yes. I, so, <laughs> yes, I think uh, it, there would be a tremendous improvement if we burned all the books. But, of course, it doesn't work like that. Um, what, what, what we have to do is, is try to get a voice so that the first step is to say this is an inefficacious way of going about our job. It's nothing to do with it. You know, it's inefficacious. It doesn't bloody work. And if you tried something else, if you tried, for example, task-based language teaching, if you started with a needs analysis and you found out the, the, the things that people have to or want to do in the target language, let's call it English, those who want to, to, to uh, come and study English in a school, you start by saying, okay, let's find out what it is that you have to do. And that's Mike, Mike Long's task-based analysis. After that, you base the course on pedagogic tasks which concentrate on the students doing that, using the language for themselves, discovering the language for themselves through scaffolded uh, task-based activities, rather than spending most of the time presenting stuff, you know, where, where the focus is on talking up the teacher who in most of the research talks more than 70% of the time, telling the students about the language. That's the problem with it. I totally agree with you, right? I totally agree with you. But I know that there's, there's, a, there's a big kind of body of criticism from, maybe not from the teachers themselves, but maybe from kind of administrators who say, well, teachers need workbooks because they need a structure they don't have time to create activities that like for example a task they don't have time to create meaningful activities or maybe they have big class sizes you know with 35 students or whatever so the workbook is the only solution what, what would you say to that criticism yes um i think um you see if you say to people these course books are crap they say oh well of course um yeah, uh, the best—they're just—they're just a sort of kicking-off point. Uh, 
really a good teacher will just use a, 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 tech, a class, a course book um, in, in his or her own way. And it's that the point here is the course book is so bad that you have to spend a lot of time uh, um, supplementing it, reinterpreting it, uh, leaving it alone, throwing it, and, and, and so on. But that takes a lot of time. It's not that teachers um, don't have to spend time preparing their classes because they use a course book. What's extraordinary about teachers is the marvelous way that they actually manage to ameliorate the appalling crap that's in course books and turn them into fairly decent courses. And that, bravo to that, chapeau, well done. Now, yes, it's quite true. The problem with um, scrapping course books and, and, and the, the synthetic syllabus that underlies them, what you need to do is go to a different kind of syllabus, an analytical syllabus, as it's called. The Long makes a distinction between syllabus, uh, well, it's Crooks and Long, 1992, actually, but and Breen had product versus process. The point is, um, a synthetic syllabus cuts the language up into bits and presents it bit by bit in a predetermined sequence, like all the course books do. Now, if you get rid of that, yes, there is, at the start, a bit of heavy lifting. What you have to do is get a, a materials bank and you have to get a way of um, uh, finding out what people need through task-based needs analysis. So yes, it's perfectly true. Um, and, and incidentally, that's not a teacher's job. A teacher, that, that's, that, that's the institution's job. That's the boss and, the, and, and everybody who, who works. In there. They, you know, what they do now is give you a course book. They are, that, that's it. That's it. And, and it's marvelous, you know, teach, students come in, what am I gonna do? You're gonna do this. First, we'll do the present tense, then we'll do the past, and then you'll, you know. <laughs> it, it, it sounds good to them because they don't. <laughs> but anyway, so, and, and then they say to the teacher, right, go on, get in there and do it. And of course, what teachers do is they don't get, you know, they, 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 they change it. So, what you need then is, it's quite true, you need to start um, with a bit of. The, the, the institution, let's say uh, somewhere like International House in Upper Mongolia has got a place, you know, and they take somebody there, the, the, the director of studies takes a brave decision to, to, to throw away headway and start something else. The initial investment will be, I don't know, I reckon a thousand hours of, of somebody's work, a teacher's work, an experienced teacher, a materials designer, uh, somebody who knows about syllabus design, somebody will be, you know, that'll, that'll, that's about how long it'll take for somebody to come up with the alternative, after which you can use it again and again and again. Once you've made that uh, initial investment, that, that bit of you know, heavy lifting at the start, it is no more difficult and no more costly to uh, implement and run than uh, the present system. And, and incidentally, there's a recent um, bit of research by, um, uh, came out two years ago, philosophy. Anyway, I'll, I, I can give you the reference. Um, this is a meta-study of places where the TBLT, task-based language turning, has been implemented. 78 or 60, maybe that's, I'm slightly exaggerating, over 70 places were, um, studies were, 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 were looked at in the meta-analysis, and there was a tremendous acceptance for TBLT when it had been carried out. And this includes places where all the people like Penny Err and the rest of the um, people who, who, who tried to defend coursebook-driven ELT say it's impossible. The Middle East, large classes, kids, um, all these places where TBLT is supposed to be a no-go, more than 70 different studies have shown tremendous acceptance. So it's a pure lie to say that TBLT is impossible and all the rest of it. Yes, it's, it's, it, it, it involves work to start, but it, God damn is it worth it. And you, you think of the results that come through, the satisfaction, the motivation, the, the, the demand, the, 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 the tremendous increase in interest in the teacher doing the job and so on, everybody wins. 
Um, and so it's just, it's, that's the problem, that people were stuck in it because of the difficulty of moving. I mean, that raises a few questions in my mind, but, but before I sort of ask them, for, for, for teachers who don't know anything about task-based learning, and even for maybe students who, who are learning on their own without a teacher, you know, what, what does that look like? What, what exactly, what is the difference between, you know, kind of following a traditional curriculum and task-based learning? Maybe you start with the, the, the difference between a, a syllabus that is a synthetic syllabus and, and, and one that isn't. So a synthetic syllabus, as I've already suggested, is one that takes the language, chops it up, and then uh, presents it bit by bit with, uh, and, and the other important part of a skill of a, a, this kind of syllabus is uh, skills building, as they call it, another nonsense. Um, so the, the twin things about a synthetic syllabus are the recognizable things that you find in, in a course book like Cutting Edge or, or, or Headway. So you begin with some, it's, it's situational language teaching of the sort that was um, brought out in the 1970s and that International House started with. Um, you start um, with a situation and you, you, that's the context for the language. So the teacher, let's say a um, good example in, in, in International House, they, they used to still do it, for God's sake, uh, they did it in 1970 when I did a course with them in London. Um, so you, 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 you as a teacher, you want to teach um, uh, things are too high to reach and too low and too big and too small and so on. You, that. So you go and you say, um, oh, um, I wonder if somebody can get uh, change that, uh, the light's not working. Uh, I know, I'll change the light bulb. Oh, I can't, it's too high. Oh, let's go outside. No, it's too cold. Oh, uh, what, oh, no, I'm too hot and so on. So you do this, you, here we are, we've got a text where everybody's doing things and, and, it, and they can't do them because it's too this and it's too that. So that's it. You go, oh, too this, too. And then you, that's the text. That's the introductory text. Mary walks into there. She wants to change her bond. She can't be too big. Oh, then she wants to go outside. She can't because it's too old. And then she decides, oh, she can't because she's too old. And blah, blah. So then you, you, <laughs> you, you, you take out that and then you actually present the, the structure. You, you explain the structure. Look. It two plus adjective plus this and that. Let's do some, you know, so you go a, a grammar box. So then you get some fill in the exercises. Okay, uh, uh, um, uh, John is two, and then so that's the idea. After which, you then have people talking about it and you listen to them and then you see somebody right so that's the idea of it and once you've got that you move on to the next bit now we're going to look at uh, i don't know present perfect how long have you and everybody starts talking in the present perfect and, and you, so that's the idea the language is chopped up the focus is that okay what what's that what's the aim what's the objective of the lesson it's to teach the present perfect is to teach two, it's to teach uh, the collocation, uh, and that's what you do. Now, that gives purpose and, 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 and so on. Uh, it's all cut up and you go through there. If you reject that, the alternative is to treat language holistically. You don't cut it up. Uh, you, you, you treat it as it is. Now, of course, for very, very early courses, you'll, you'll have to um, be careful what you do and modify it a lot. But what you don't do is say, today we're going to do the present perfect, or today we're going to do this, or today we're going to talk about something that everybody in this class is interested in, whether it's um, business meetings or, or faxing, or sorry, text, or whatever it is. So the task-based course starts with, um, and today we should say there are different kinds of task-based language teaching. Um, there are mild versions and or weak and strong versions. Mike Long, the one that um, uh, we go along with in SLB in the course that I'm doing with Neil on TBLT is based on Mike Long. Mike Long's... Um, <laughs> there it is. Um, 
absolutely best book on teaching ever ever written. Um, so at this, what you do is you you start with um, uh, a needs analysis. Uh, for the needs analysis, you find out what the people who want to do the course uh, want to do with the target language. So if they're academics, it'll be one thing. If they're taxi drivers, it'll be another. If they're um, air traffic controllers, pilots, doctors, nurses, etc., etc., it, 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 uh, it doesn't have to be professional. They might be, you know, uh, uh, have some whatever their reason is for wanting to do it, you can find out how they want to use these. And incidentally, it's not as, you know, <laughs> doctors is far too broad. You have to go in and find out what kind of doctor they are, where do they work, who do they talk to. And so you, you go in there and you don't talk to them because they don't really know about language. You, you talk to their bosses, you talk to the people they work with. And you gather information in which you find out, okay, what they have to do is, for example, a journalist, a wonderful course done uh, at the University of Barcelona three or four years ago by um, uh, Hilbert, who's working with us. Um, he went in and he found out uh, journalists, that, uh, a Catalan journalist asked him, I forget from where, anyway, they asked him to, to, give, to help them with their English. So he went in and he found out what they have to do. And one of the things they have to do, of course, is to do interviews. So what does an interview involve? It means phoning someone, asking if they can come and see them. It means then doing the background reading and finding out what they're doing. Then it means doing the interview itself. And then it means writing it up and talking to the editor. <clears throat> so you break that down and you say, and you turn it into pedagogic tasks. Right, the first one, so you lead up. You say, okay, today we're going to... Um, <clears throat> Sorry, look at interviews. We'll do interviews with people. What do you need to do interviews? What language do you need for that? So the course consists of working through pedagogic tasks that have been designed by materials writers to help people to actually do the things they want to do with the language. Mike Long did a marvelous one with immigrant workers. They found out immigrant workers working in California came from Mexico um, and they worked um, in the fields and so on and they drove to work. They drove in uh, bad battered cars so they got stopped by the cops. So part of the course was to teach them how to deal with a cop stop. Um, oh, can I have see your license please? Yes, here it is and so on and so on. So that really, that was an important part of what they needed to do with the language. Incidentally, very interestingly, they cooperated with the cops, and the cops said, can we do a course like that? And they learned how to teach, how to talk politely and not get shot by the people they stopped. So that's, a, that's what, that's what task-based language learning involves. It involves finding out what people need to do with the language, and then using materials, uh, writing uh, or modifying texts, getting videos and, and, and material, and then designing tasks, which step by step, the, the, the final task in the series of tasks is usually some kind of simulation. So for example, with the, with the workers, it would be, okay, a real simulation of a traffic stop where the uh, teacher or somebody played the role of the cop, and they had to go through this stuff. If it's um, a doctor, it would be how to actually um, interview a patient about something or give news or give a talk, whatever. <clears throat> so very often the final task in a series of pedagogic tasks is some kind of simulation that shows that they've, got, they've now got the competence to do what they wanted to do in that part of the language. So that's how it would go on. If teachers were involved in it, um, what they would do is, um, what we've suggested, for example, in our course that we're giving, uh, Neil and I, SLB, mm. we're doing it in collaboration with uh, Mike Long and with uh, the University of Barcelona and um, various people. So, the big thing they say is, we can't possibly do the full version of this that Mike uh, says in this. So, you know, quite, quite understand, you know, there's lots of resources needed, but you can make a start. 
There's all sorts of ways you can introduce tasks, proper tasks, not crap tasks where you know three minutes of teaching at the uh, talking at the end, but proper communicative tasks where you relevant, you know, extended, real use of the language. You can do that. You can do that in lots of different ways by using various types of material and various things. So that you can do. You can make a start, um, and you can talk to your DOS the director of studies or your boss or the one running your institution and you can say let's do a pilot course let's just let's just try we've got these uh, whoever they are this group nurses or waiters or, or whoever they are uh, let's try it with them and try it out and make a start and uh, the start would be finding out what they need and designing uh, and a lot of them incidentally a lot of the design work's already done we, we've already got quite a lot of material and in SLB, what we're doing is we're, we're, um, we've started work on a materials bank, which we hope will be international and everybody can contribute to, uh, so that if you wanted to do this, this kind of teaching, you could go to the bank, find video, find internet, find interviews, find, find stuff that would help you and, and, and uh, not involve you in, so, in designing the service, which you could then use time and time again. Um, to, uh, once you've got it off the ground, you, you modify it a little bit and, and you've got it. So for example, Dilbert in his journalist course, he's been doing that course now for 18 years, a tremendous success. So that's what a teacher could expect to do. What, they, what you do is stop doing, hello, today we're going to look at this, present it, and then do control practice of it, and then do fill in the blanks and all sorts of activities. And then right at the end for 10 minutes, some sort of mumbled uh, talk, uh, which, you know, instead of doing all that, you design uh, communicative tasks where it, it involves students doing the talking, not the teacher, teacher using back, uh, interventions, taking notes, giving feedback afterwards and so on, where they work on communicative tasks that involve them in all sorts of work where they have to work together using listening various kinds of texts and talking to each other uh, in order to practice the kind of language they need uh, to, to, to be able to be fluent and competent in, in an area that they've already uh, told you that they're interested in. Now, one sort of um, question that comes to mind is, you know, in general, you know, especially in especially in kind of um, public institutions like you know primary schools and high schools, and even amongst sort of private students, um, there's this kind of obsession with testing, right? Um, and also, um, you know, sometimes testing is necessary for students. For example, if they need to get an IELTS certificate because they want to move to Canada or they want to move to Australia, and I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if what kind of problem this presents for administrators and also for students who want to measure their progress if they're not learning, you know, grammar? Because you can't, like, how do you test success if you're doing tasks, if you know what I mean? If you do uh, a task-based course, then, of course, in the end, uh, the assessment will be performance-rated criterion testing. Um, just like a driving license, um, you pass or you fail, you can do it or you can't. Um, so there's none of this crap in, that, that's involved in, in present testing. Um, first of all, it, it doesn't test, you know, artificial nonsense. Uh, and secondly, it's not competitive and it's not um, graded in the same way as other types, the, 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 the famous tests that uh, are used, the IEL tests, the Cambridge tests, the um, TESOL tests, and all the rest of the tests. It's quite, it, it's true that most assessment um, is based on false principles, which of course are related to the whole commodification of, of, of ELT. It, it's all part of the same damn thing. So, of course, the assessment is completely up the chute. Glenn Vulture, who um, works at Leicester University, actually brilliant academic, um, has um, talked at length about the, the, the complete inadequacies of, the, of, the, of most of the 
the tests and certainly of the of the framework, the common European frame of reference. Um, he calls it uh, reification, which of course it is. Um, so uh, nevertheless, people have got to get that stuff. And an exam preparation course, if, if somebody comes to you and says, I, I've got to pass the Cam Cambridge Advanced or Person or whatever the hell it is. Okay, if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. And that's a task-based course. The ta what's the task? Pass the exam. Right, let's do it. Now, be very sure and clear that passing this exam um, has its limitations. It doesn't mean that you'll be able to do this, that, or the other. But if you want to pass the exam, we can help you do that. We'll help you with this, you know, the typical stuff that you do with exam preparation courses. The problem is, of course, the washback effect that these exams have on general English learning. That's the problem. That people are taught to, they, they, you know, and, and it's the same, of course, in, in, in uh, um, private uh, language schools where teachers know that at the end of the course they're giving, with intermediate, lower intermediate, whatever the hell they call it, B2 or I don't know, one of them, uh, at the end they're going to do a test <laughs> and the students are going to say, am I ready for the next level? <laughs> uh, and of course the teacher's life depends on saying yes because they've got to pay again to do another course so the exam uh, the, the, the ridiculous exam that tests whether or not they're ready to go to the next level has a washback effect on the way the teacher does his job or her job um, so the whole thing is a horrible vicious circle um, it shouldn't be that testing shouldn't be like that assessment the assessment now of course it depends very much on on the job now if you're a um uh, someone um let's say uh in um in the aviation industry you're a pilot or, or even you're you're one of those people uh, traffic control so, you know you, you've got to learn english now this is this is pretty important that you get it right you know <laughs> If you don't, 500 people sitting up there are going to die. So there, it's pretty important that your listening comprehension is damn good. And also that you very carefully and correctly give instructions to the pilot. All right, so here we've got the bar very high indeed. And in other cases, we can say in science and, and various places, the bar is very, very high for what we will allow as a part. We will say, yes, you're, you can do this. You're competent at this. If, if that uh, air traffic controller needs uh, um, a certificate, which he damn well ought to, um, <laughs> uh, in English, um, and God help us, they're not given the proper assessment um, procedure, not given the proper tests but anyway in that case then that the 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 assessment the test that you design for an air traffic controller will obviously be <laughs> very different to the one that you design for a waiter it doesn't matter <laughs> what's going to happen you know, he gets a fish instead <laughs> a steak uh, that's pretty important too of course i'm not you know but anyway you get the point the assessment should obviously fit uh, the, 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 the situation. So it, it's absurd to say, as they do, oh, I've got Cambridge Advanced, therefore, you know, I can fly a plane, do a vasectomy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absurd. When I, when I spoke to Jennifer Jenkins about this, this exact question, um, she said that, uh, you know, basically the same thing, that, that, you know, exams were really hurting the kind of the state of the industry. And that yeah. a solution that she kind of proposes herself is that um, imagine you're a university, uh, like psychology department, and you want international students, you know, that psychology department and those psychology teachers create an exam, you know, for the people they're looking for. And that's the only real way to know if they're going to be able to survive or not. Uh, absolutely. Um, Glenn Fulch is very good on this. He's got some awful, awful good stuff. And of course, uh, Jenkins, Jennifer's 
absolutely right. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Um, the, the problem with all of this is, is this chopping up and measuring things uh, in the way that uh, um, you know, uh, the CF does and, 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 and Cambridge does and, and, and in the States just the same. Um, that is not a good way to design um, uh, assessment of, of, of communicative competence. Of course it isn't. Just as Jennifer said, well, whatever the local condition is, what you know, that's how you do it. In a TBLT course, the as I say, the it is performance uh, rated um, uh, criterion. You know, what's the, the criterion is? Can you uh, let the cop uh, allow you to go? Can you get the coffee? Can you, etc. Can you do what you want to do? Um, and often this is a case of uh, yes or no. As I say, it's very often, if you reach a criteria, it's none of this, uh, you know, uh, some pass, some fail, only 60 can go on, bell curves, and any of that stuff. Um, but in, in other cases, as we say, uh, it depends. If, if it's a psychology uh, staff, then, then um, depending on what they have to do, you, you get you get stricter or more lenient. You, it, it matters less or more if you if you you know you calibrate it. And of course, some calibration uh, is not enough. Yes, he did it, and he. Did. I mean, actually, there are some tests where you can you can pass and not actually you know, students can pass and not actually completely get. You know, they're they're, they're guessing a little bit what the person said. Um, a lot of waiters and, and people in service industries can do this, you know, they, they don't actually, and they get it, they get the guy needs a coffee and he doesn't want whatever. And if they manage to do that, they pass. Now, of course, if it's important, you know, like it is now, God help us with all these gluten, you know, people who are intolerant to stuff, yeah. uh, well, then you raise the bar. Of course you do. You say, you've got to understand exactly what that person was, because if you don't, you might give him some, something in the, in the food that will kill him or her. So it, it yeah. obviously depends perfectly. But it, what it doesn't depend on is the sort of thing that, that Cambridge exams say it depends on, your ability to, to get 60 out of 100 or whatever the hell it is, uh, on on a, a multiple choice grammar test. Um, now that that might you know that might be okay for one or two things. That might be interesting to know if they can do that. If they have you know might might be relevant, but it probably isn't. Uh, incident and also in the Cambridge exams, at least God bless them, they have uh, an interview. Well, that you know that that's good. I, I think the Cambridge uh, interviews. I mean, it, you know, it's not perfect by any means, but you know, there's quite a lot to be said for it. So you look at all these things and you say, to what extent do they, uh, you know, do what they're supposed to do, which is what test validity is all about. Does it, does it do what it's supposed set out to do? And most of them don't. Most of them are, are crap. They do not tell you with any reliability that person's uh, about that person's community competence and that person's ability to do whatever it is you want him or her to do with the language. Because I think any any good teacher wants the best result for their students, right? You know, so what 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 can they do that will immediately ha have a great you know a great impact on their teaching? I think the first thing they have to do is to have a minimum understanding of the way that people learn languages. Um, and particularly the way adults learn a second language, which is, well, you know, in many important respects, different. So they have to, it doesn't mean doing a, you know, becoming an academic and reading, you know, uh, applied linguistics every month or anything like that. That's an academic's work. <coughs> and incidentally, it's an utter disgrace how poorly teacher trainers inform uh, teachers who deserve better information from the mediators. But anyway, if any teacher wants to, um, it feels unhappy with um, the, the, the teaching they're doing, 
God knows they've got enough reason to, then, as I say, I think the first thing they should do is inform themselves of uh, important findings in second language acquisition research, in, uh, and particularly instructed second language. In other words, um, results of what we know about how people learn uh, in instructed situations. The, what that will give them is um, a firm principle basis to uh, um, make sense to, to, to explain the fact that um, or to understand that most uh, language learning uh, is implicit. Um, the way that you help uh, students best to uh, achieve communicative competence is by giving them opportunities to do things with the language and to use the language because that's the only way uh, where uh, people can consolidate implicit unconscious knowledge that, that, and that's the only way you can handle fluent uh, and confident um, communication exchanges. So once they got this sort of understanding of interlanguage development of um, the, the way that people uh, assimilate and learn language and pick it up and, 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 that, and the help they need and, and the, the fragile parts of the language with it and so on. Once they get that, once they get this idea that um, presenting, talking about the language is not where it's at. Everybody, it doesn't matter who they are in second language acquisition, whether they're Chomskyists or Nectarists or uh, people like Nick Ellis who take a, a completely different view, the consensus among second language acquisition researchers is it's implicit language learning that drives uh, learning and drives communicative competence. So once they've got that, they'll stop thinking, what's the aim of my lesson? Uh, it's, to, it, it's to present grammar or it's to present that uh, or it's to do um, uh, stuff with lexical chunks or whatever it is. And they'll realize that what they have to do is... Um, get the students involved in activities, tasks, where they use the language for relevant communicative purposes. Once they've done that, they have to find um, relevant material that will help them to do that. Uh, and, and there's quite a lot of it available. Um, and there are now network, if they, if they Google task-based language, there are, there are discussion groups, there are co cooperatives and so on. Now, that's the second thing I would suggest that they do, um, is, is, is try to form a cooperative or join a cooperative or at least get something going in their own institution with a few teachers who feel the same way as they do. It's very hard if, if they're isolated. They really need to be part of a community who feel, you know, who share their interests and their concerns. So that can be... Um, hopefully where they work if they can find one or two teachers so come on let's try this let you know that's what we used to do in the 80s when i started god it was so exciting so if they can find a few people to work you know one or two more the merrier obviously uh, if not um get in touch with people who they know uh are like you me uh slb in barcelona their own areas there are don't let's um, get too gloomy here. There are a lot of people, more and more, I'm glad to say, who are questioning um, the, the utility, the efficaciousness. It's all about efficacy. That's what it's about. It's not about, you know, being a bloody anarchist or a capitalist or being this or that. It's about, does it work? And the, and the fact is, no, it bloody doesn't. And we know it. Most of the people who study narrative fail. They don't get what they wanted, they're, you know, they're frustrated, and so on. So, um, efficacy is, is why we're doing all this, because we want to be more efficient, we want to be more effective, we want to help people learn faster and better and, and feel uh, good about it. So, if that's how you feel, as I say, there are more and more people um, doing this kind of thing. Uh, and and it's not you know what we ought to do. You and I'm very pleased you got in touch with me. But we, you know we're bad at getting in touch with each other. Those of us who who are against uh, what's going on, and we ought to 
forge more links, we ought to network more, we ought to share platforms, we ought to share our work and all that. Um, but that's what, that's what and anybody who wants to do it, um, look in your local area, look for people where you work, near where you work, look for people you know, who are doing workshops or any of that stuff. In Barcelona, there's stuff like that going on in any big city, I'm absolutely sure. If they're working in a more isolated situation or they've got a portfolio, which so many have now, you know, they do a bit of this online and they, they go into companies and they, you know, uh, scratch. A, a, <laughs> well, then um, they have to probably reach out to people via via Facebook or, or, or Twitter or some uh, way. Maybe, I mean, the trouble is IATEFL and TESOL are bloody rubbish. They're no good. Uh, but there are local uh, ones that will help. So that's the thing. Uh, don't stay isolated. Get informed. Get a bit of understanding of the background of how people learn languages. Uh, th and then... Um, Find people near you who, who, who feel like you and then kind of reach out. And, and um, there was a very good conference that uh, they've done in Barcelona the last four years, Innovation in ELT. Very nice, small, uh, none of these absurd, horrible plenary speakers, you, you know, I won't mention any names. Um, but, you know, that kind of thing. Local people talking together, you know, uh, without the bloody um, uh, publishers all over the brain, all that sort of stuff. So get involved in local stuff and uh, reach out to people who you think uh, feel the same as you do. It kind of actually makes me wonder, because as you say, you know, the kind of history of the way that we teach languages has kind of been through different, you know, different epochs, you could say. And, you know, like the ancient Greeks, seem to have a better understanding of how to learn languages than, well, not that they had a better understanding, but they their, their practices were more, you know, more kind of modern. How, how did we get to this stage? You know, why are we here in 2019? Yes. You know, when, as you say, the research is so clear. How did this happen? You, you know, you can learn. It's extraordinary the way people learn languages. You know, um, there is no um, right way. Um, what we know now, and it's and it's very young. I mean, SLA, you know, was sixty years of it. Um, but what we know now, typically for a young um, academic area, is we know what doesn't work, fun, or we know what really does. So, and and that's why I'm so against coursework. We know that doesn't work. Um, audio lingualism is based on behaviorism, and and <laughs> it's wrong. So it's unlikely, but nevertheless, people who who were, were taught, some of them, my God, you know, it worked perfectly. Some people like uh, studying grammar and bloody good luck to them. Some people really enjoy that kind of class. And now, of course, there are cultural reasons and all sorts of psychological reasons where if it's not what you expect, you kind of turn off and so on. Uh, that, that, that's a different problem, you know, when teachers say, if I don't give them grammar, they, they, they think I'm, you know, shortchanging them. That's something that has to be addressed, and it's a real problem. But um, they're, they're really, you know, as you say, people have been learning languages since, uh, for a long time. Um, and every method has, has a certain amount of success and failure. The, the thing is, now we're in the modern era, at least we can measure these things more, and we know uh, from our uh, um, data that uh, language learning is colossally unsuccessful. Um, you know, I mean, to, to just say from, from the 1930s or 1920s, you know, um, in schools, the kind of stuff they were doing, it just... It was it was pathetic. Six years. You, I mean, when I I, I studied French, <laughs> I did Latin, of course, um, uh, but you know, I was pretty good at that. But you didn't have to speak it. Um, but French, you know, modern languages. You study French, and that. I mean, you know, I did. I don't know, seven years of French, and I promise you, I you know, I get to Paris, it's utter failure. You can't. You know, not not nothing, nothing. I can just read to you know, and all that stuff. But why? Because the way you were taught was appalling, wrong, and it's hopeless. So we know from the records 
really very, very bad results of language teaching when language teaching is approached in the same way as teaching other um, form, other bits of the curriculum, like, like as I said, um, biology and so on. What's important is that we appreciate that language is different. It's not, a, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like driving a car. That's a false analogy, but it is something you learn by doing. Whereas you can learn, um, uh, if you're a doctor, you can learn the skeleton by, you know, memorizing it, and and a lot of it's like that. So. Um, now we know that the methodology is important. We know that one way is better than another and gives better results. So we know more than we used to know about what it is not the case that um, immersion courses where absolutely no attention to grammar or to explicit teaching is given. That is not the best. Um, there's very good evidence to suggest that explicit teaching has a very good role to play uh, in language uh, teaching. Very, very important. But, um, you know, there are good ways and bad ways of doing it. And presenting grammar in the way that it, that's not very effective. Um, recasts, uh, asking again, all sorts of uh, uh, little ways of doing it rather than big blocks. You know, those are more, and we know about this stuff, and we can read about it and, and we can talk about it among ourselves. You know, say, what, what? Um, so we know more, we know that we ought to be involving them in communicative exchanges, we know more the sort of correction that works and what doesn't, the sort of um, uh, explaining that helps and what doesn't. And of course, this depends. Quite a lot of cultural people, the German really like to know the rule, and Spanish is rather just, you know, I mean, it's a generalization, but there are things like that. So, all of this now, we've got so much more information, we know so much more about it that we ought at least to put some of it, uh, to take notice of it, rather than stick our heads in the sand. We're doing now, most of the world um, is doing what was done in 1970. It's the same damn thing. It's situational language teaching. That's the, you know, it's absurd that we should be back there. And why? Because commercial pressure snuffed out uh, CLT, community language teaching, that was, was just beginning to blossom in the 1980s with the growth of um, uh, understanding of how people learn and uh, the discrediting of, of Skinner's behaviorist stuff. Just as that was blossoming, along come the commercial and bang, this is a kind of very, very big business. Uh, and we're back to uh, a method that, that sells, that makes a lot of money, but is not efficacious in helping people learn. What would be your advice to any students out there who are in the system, who have this idea that, you know, grammar is language, workbooks are language, you know, passing exams equals success? What, what would you say to those students to try and change their mind? I'd say, uh, <laughs> what, what luck do you have? How, how's it going? <laughs> How, it, uh, can you actually use language in the way you want to? If you can... Perfect. My guess is you can't. My guess is that um, you're not very good at what you want to be good at, which is if, if, you, if what you want to do is communicate in the language and go and be among people who speak that language and feel confident talking to them, then forget. Go and find, find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, get a job. To, you know, that's what you should do. Get in there and do it, and you'll learn. I promise you, you'll learn. If you need a bit more help, if you if you like the idea of doing a class, if you if if you're in a hurry, uh, we can help. And then find yourself a teacher um, who gives you the opportunity to use the language that that shuts up and lets you talk. That insists that the the, the on your doing most of the work. Um, so that's what I would say. First, if, if, if you're happy, if you're, if you're pleased with your progress, great. If you're not, if it's not working, then first 
put yourself in a situation where you where you get an opportunity to use the language. Um, that's the best way to learn. Get a girlfriend. Get a job. Get a boyfriend. Get, get <laughs> rob banks. Do something in there. Um, and then if you if you want to do it a bit faster, find a teacher who will uh, sit down, find out what you need. Uh, and insist that you do the work and and, and be a bouncing board. Let, let you talk, you listen, uh, and 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 give you help when you when you when you ask for it. You know, if you say, "How do you say this?" He tell you if you and so on. So that's what I would say. Don't go anywhere near most of the schools uh, dedicated to selling people courses of English because they're um, unfortunately, and this is not primarily a criticism of the teachers, if not of the, uh, of the people who run the show, um, those are not very um, good ways of uh, improving your English. Well, um, Jeff Jordan, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> a real pleasure. <laughs>